Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. Diplomats, scientists, advocates, and other concerned parties are gathering in Katowice, Poland, for a major international climate conference that is serving as a follow-up to the Paris Climate Agreement. The meeting is formally called the 24th Conference of Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. It is better known in UN lingo simply as COP24, and it stretches from December 2nd to the 14th. This conference is a big moment in international diplomacy and a key inflection point for the implementation of the goals set forth in the Paris Accord. On the line with me to discuss what is happening at this conference and why it matters is Yamid Danyet, a senior associate at the World Resources Institute. As she explains, there are three main tasks before the delegates to this conference, which taken together are intended to facilitate global cooperation toward the Paris Agreement goal of limiting the pace of global warming. Yamid Danyet explains some of the technical issues on the table, as well as some of the broader political arguments that are being made at this conference. We also discuss how the United States fits into these negotiations, given that it is both a major emitter and that President Trump has decided the U.S. will pull out of the Paris Agreement. If you have 20 minutes and want to learn what this climate conference is all about, this episode will serve you well. A quick note before we begin, a big thank you to all you new premium subscribers to the show. Uh, you have now unlocked a host of rewards, including access to my daily global news clips service that I send to your email inbox every single morning. It's a roundup of easily missed but very important global news articles that will keep you informed as you start your day. To access that reward and my bonus episodes, simply click the link in the description field of this podcast or go to globaldispatchespodcast.com and click on the Become a Premium Subscriber button. If you have any questions about any of this, just uh, send me an email. All right. And now here is my conversation with Yamid Danyet of the World Resources Institute. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Okay, so what I can tell you about this COP. So uh, from the 3rd of December till the 14th of December, uh, negotiators from all around the world, 196 countries, uh, with their ministers, and at the beginning, some head of state will meet, uh, as they do generally annually, 
uh, to discuss progress and a new direction to really combat climate change. And at this COP, the number of this COP is number 24. The 24th time, uh, there are meetings. They have three critical tasks mm-hmm. at hand. Explain, so explain, yes. Wh- which are each of those, those three, three tasks. tasks. Exactly. So the three tasks. The first is to agree an effective set of rules to set the Paris Agreement in motion in a fair and transma- transparent manner. So what does it mean? In Paris, you know, countries uh, agreed what to do. That's the Paris Agreement. But this agreement doesn't tell how to do it. And very often, you know, knowing what to do is one thing, but how we do it is much more difficult, especially when 196 countries can have different views on how to do it, how to implement it. And eventually also uh, at different pace because different countries are at different stage of development. So this is why, you know, the stakes here is the rules of the game in a way that get the Paris um, uh, Agreement really into life in a fair, transparent manner. Can you give an example of like what one of those rules might look like? Like what are we talking about when we say, quote, rules of the Paris Agreement? So the Paris Agreement tells you that Every five years, countries will need to come back on the table with more ambitious, um, collectively at least, uh, plans to tackle climate change. So, you know, if uh, so that uh, we we get closer uh, to achieve 1.5 degrees Celsius. So. You know, one of the rules would be the rules or the tools that, or processes that need to be agreed. We need to be, for example, when they come on the table um, every every five years, what do they do? Who is going to be involved? You know, what input is going to be considered? What sources of information? And how to make it so participatory that it's not just governments or technocrats, you know, discussing this issue. But they've got insights from private sector, from faith-based community, from different think tanks, uh, a lot of research and analysis that brings um, not only the social, um, environmental, but the economic side of both, um, you know, the risk, but also the opportunities. So, so you're really uh, talking so about like example. a pretty, just like almost like basic stuff, like who gets to present at a meeting, who gets to talk in a meeting, um, what um, data is used at the meeting, that kind of stuff. So that's one example. Another one, for example, is what you're going to put in your plan so that people understand it. So you have different countries with different type of targets. Some of them have uh, an economy-wide target, which cut across you know, all different sectors of the economy. Some others are saying, oh, I'm going to reduce just to, to make a transformation just in the energy sector. How do you compare apple and mango? How do you say, okay, I'm going to reduce this amount of greenhouse gases um, from that base year of 20, 2010? And other countries are going to say, oh, I'm going to reduce it, but the the, the metric that I'm going to use is against GDP. It's more 
uh, it's also, you know, what I'm going to avoid as a nation. So if I was not doing anything, mm. it would skyrocket. But, you know, so my target is going to be expressed in a way that it's avoided emission. So everybody brings apples and mango. How do you understand each other? How do you make sure that, you know, what they're saying they're doing is real, is additional, and translate into something, um, you know, that, that is also more ambitious mm. uh, as the, the, the agreement asks you to do every five years? And and so, so the Paris Agreement mm-hmm. itself didn't, you know, include these kinds of rules. Rather, no, it sort of kicked no. the can down the road to future negotiations in which these sound to be uh, somewhat technical um, issues need to be resolved. And, and I don't want to be dismissive when I say technical, because as you mentioned, they're, they're just like extremely important that everyone is on sort of the same page and has a, an ability to sort of measure progress in, in a meaningful way. But um, it's the nuts exactly. and bolts of that, that that's getting uh, discussed at COP24. Exactly. Another thing is really the, the type of rules that will bring everybody um, to trust each other that they were really going to do what they said they would be doing. So another rule is, you know, uh, when, from when countries are going to come with a report every two years, so when they're going to start, that kind of uh, a frequency of reporting, where and, 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 and what information in the report we want to see uh, that looks at the trends of emission, that looks at what they put in place to track progress, that looks at how they uh, assess their efforts, you know, to uh, based on their vulnerabilities, their efforts to adapt to climate change, and also how they track um, the finance they said they would be providing for developed countries or the finance they have received or what they plan to mobilize. So you, you see, this is really a trust-building exercise, mm-hmm. confidence to really provide credibility, you know, to a regime that is supposed to be really transformational. So so establishing these rules are, are one key task uh, ahead for negotiators in Poland. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned two other uh, issues that are top yes, of the agenda. What indeed. else? So it sounds like, I mean, that's enough to um, take up like years and years of negotiation on its own, these rules, but there's more. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, it took three years just to take up to discuss the rules. But another one, which is more political in nature, is that, um, you know, the the Paris Agreement asks countries every five years to come with more ambitious, um, Mm. you know, upgraded, updated NDCs. And again, right. we should the say that was kind of, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, yeah, you every, let, yeah, yeah. let's have you explain now uh, what, exactly. uh, what the NDCs are, yeah. Exactly. The NDCs, Nationally um, Determined Contributions. It means basically the climate plans that countries will agree, will decide to undertake, you know, to, to, to meet their requirements. So every and, and nationally determined because you know the war one of the key challenge of Paris was not to have something decided internationally uh, that would not get ownership at the national level. So uh, what Paris the Paris Agreement said there's going to be 
top-down rules, rules to make sure that there's a level playing field. Everybody will kind of do the same. Uh, but at the end of the day, the direction of, tra- you know, the national direction of travel, based on your national circumstance and your capability, might be decided by the country itself. Mm-hmm. So each so country, country basically... Each country basically brought what is called, you know, as you said, the nationally determined contributions to the table. This is what they were exactly. going to do. Um, their plan, their yeah. own climate plan that together exactly. uh, were intended to achieve uh, a climate uh, change reduction target. Exactly. A climate change reduction target. And also very often they include in those, you know, climate plans, how they're going to adapt. So it's both, it's mainly you know, what they do to reduce emissions, uh, but it's also how they adapt, acknowledging that the reduction of emissions is the most important and most efficient way to adapt. So how are these nationally determined contributions going to be engaged then in Poland? So so, so, So what Perry said is every five years, you come back with a greater offer. So that commitment was made in 2015 in Paris. Now, this agreement came into force, you know, much quicker than, you know, we anticipated. But five years down the line, five years after Paris means 2020. For some countries who are just in the midst of figuring out how they're going to implement what they said they would be doing, so put into really action to real to, to translate into the ground what they submitted in Paris in their national contribution. Some of them are quite worried about their ability to come in two years, <laughs> in less than two years, with an enhanced offer, you see, a more ambitious target. Because they haven't so, even gotten around know, to implementing the the first target. Some of them, exactly. For I would because imagine it's like for a variety. Very, yeah. Uh, well, I would say I'd imagine it's for like a variety of different circumstances, but at least some countries probably don't have the means to implement uh, their exactly their, their own uh, climate plans on their own. They need some external aid. Exactly. So the rules are supposed to also equip. So I discussed some technical details, but. Some some rules are supposed to also provide some comfort, you know, to developing countries who need it, um, you know, that they will get the support, uh, and 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 they will be allowed, you know, to 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 get better, to get better data and get better action over time. Uh, but you know, that needed needs to be tr- made transparently, right? Mm. <laughs> so that it is fair. Now, the, the, the political, uh, the, the, the second kind of task is, despite the different pace, we know, and the IPCC report on 1.5 makes it very clear, we are not near what, where we need to be to reach uh, two degree world, let alone 1.5. The IPCC report tells us that there's actually a great difference between two degrees and 1.5. Mm-hmm. Two degrees, we lose our coral reef. You know, 1.5, we may get a chance, chance to save maybe 25% of 
of that. So, you know, there's a big difference, and therefore we should not aim for even a two-degree world, uh, a two de- uh, an, an increased temperature of two degree. We should aim to no more than 1.5. That was one of the messages of the IPCC report. Mm. So You're referring to a that, report that was released uh, in October by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which, exactly. as you said, yeah, which, as you said, um, warned of really dire and uh, dramatic consequences should the world not even reach its less ambitious target of 1.5 degrees. Exactly. Exactly. IPCC for mm-hmm. Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, indeed, that mm-hmm. that's very uh, consequential and unequivocal uh, report, you know, about the state of affairs, but also, thankfully, um, the fact that we can still do it. We can still reverse yeah. the situation we're currently in. So the, the IPCC report warned us um, about, you know, what should what could happen if we don't uh, act uh, swiftly. Uh, the difference in acting, you know, towards a trajectory of two degree rather than one degree, one point five degree. But it also highlights, you know, says clearly that we do have the means to get there. So, yeah, we do have the technology to get there. And therefore, what we want in Katowice is that independently of the different stage of development, that there's a, a, a global commitment that in 2020, countries will enhance their NDCs. And therefore, after the IPCC report and after a dialogue that is, that is going to bring all the ministers that they're going to look into their eyes and say, I'm going to go back home, intensify my consultations, consultations with my citizens, with my private sector, with my cities, uh, with my communities, to, to, to really explore how I can come with uh, more ambitious targets, so, how I can maybe mm-hmm. get... Uh, 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 yeah. Well, so 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 it seems as you're saying, um, one of the political outcomes that um, you know everyone's hoping for out of this uh, meeting in in Poland is for you know governments to um, reengage their national determined contributions and and re up their a- ambitions and that's sort of one that's a second outcome, uh, the second consequence. That's the second outcome. What, what's the Knowing third? That yeah. We don't expect some new headlines necessarily. Yeah. Um, some some countries will be front runners. You know, the the Marshall Islands, for example, last week there was a climate vulnerable forum where the Marshall Islands already said they will enhance, they will increase their NDCs, showing that you do not need to be a big country mm-hmm. to think big. And you know, because of the benefits and also the need for survival, they're already leading charge and showing you know, uh, working the talk and leading by example. So, but, so we don't expect all countries to do that, but at least to commit to come back in 2020, five years after Paris, we've enhanced, you know, collective enhanced ambition. And, and so what is the, the third uh, big item on the agenda then? So the third is the means of implementation, is the finance. So in 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 every COP, in every negotiation, you know, one of the tricky dimensions is finance, because you could imagine that that transformation will not come, you know, without a cost. But you know that cost, that investment. I, I, I shouldn't. We should not use the word even cost. 
you know, the investment into that uh, climate transformation um, needs to be thought through and and it needs to be scaled up to really get to where we need to be. So, you know, like you could see in, you know, the, the citizens in, in France at the moment, be especially the most vulnerable countries, those who have least means, you know, to adapt, least means to, you know, to get into that that transformation, they need to be accompanied. So, you know, yes, it's good to have targets, but they need, they need to have means to get there. And therefore, what we do hope is that there's going to be some signals that cooperation between countries with that spirit of solidarity is going to be fostered. That support for developing countries to invest in climate solutions will be there. And there's been and, and there are a number of climate funds. There's the Green Climate Funds, for example, there's the Adaptation Fund, the Lead Developed Funds. All of those would need to be replenished so that and and access to them needs to be with the right governance needs to be you know accelerated so so they, yeah well well so so can i ask so so the agenda is is grand uh there's a lot uh, that needs to happen in uh just uh two short weeks how mm-hmm. has the withdrawal or the stated uh intent to withdraw from the paris agreement by the united states affected negotiations or has it meaningfully affected negotiations in any in any way well, it has been a blow for sure, but what we've seen when, you know, after, you know, the 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 new the the U.S. administration came into power, uh, it was back uh, during COP22 in Marrakesh in 2016. You know, there was a, a massive um, mobilization of the the whole community to say we're still in, and then within the U.S., you've got a private sector. Uh, cities, uh, states saying we're still in. And this is where you got America's pledge, for example, mm-hmm. demonstrating that so many, uh, that yes, they're the federal power, but at cities, when we aggregate uh, cities or states' uh, initiatives and targets, you know, it, it, it accounts for, you know, a lot of emissions mm-hmm. reduction. So there can be a difference. And I think the other thing more internationally that happens is what we call a distributed leadership. Of course, in the run-up to Paris, uh, the U.S. with China, you know, had a lot to do to drive, you know, um, you know, a direction, that direction of travel that we agreed to. Now we don't have the two powers, you know, um, you know, working together. Um, and you could see, you could think that it would be completely going to pieces. Mm-hmm. But first of all, the small countries are, are saying uh, the climate vulnerable forum, uh, those most vulnerable countries for small islands, LDCs are saying no. Nope, uh, we may be small, but we think big, and we're going to lead. So, so um, can, can, then- can I ask you just a, a couple of? Um- <laughs> Just a, a couple of, of questions along this thread. First, so, you know, yeah. as you said earlier, you know, of course, it is the case that you have seen here in the United States a robust reaction to the Trump administration's decision to pull out of the Paris Agreement from state and local governments, which have sort of correspondingly upped their their ambitions and, and done a lot mm-hmm. to mitigate 
um, you know, actions that are taken on the federal level. But of course, it is, you know, federal officials who are in the room in Poland at COP24 doing mm-hmm. the, the negotiations. So I guess my question is like, what do we know mm-hmm. about sort of the U.S. government participation, sort of official participation in ah, this meeting? Ah, so that's different. Okay. Yes. Thank you for, you know, keeping me on track. The, mm-hmm. So so what what we have seen is, you know, two things. First of all, the U.S. government remains engaged in the negotiations. That's what I keep hearing, um, even though because, even though they pulled out. Um, the U.S. government is actually still engaged out, because they're not actually gone it, yet. Exactly. They're not gone yet because procedurally, um, they cannot do that before uh, before November two thousand and um, uh, twenty fifteen. Be, before November twenty twenty twenty, I think something like that. Yeah, or after right after the election. Well, yes, be, yes, exactly. Right after the election, twenty. Yes, November twenty twenty. So yes, it's four plus one. So yes. So this means that they're still engaged, as you say. This, this, as you say, and. We we don't know what the the outcome of the, the election in in mm-hmm. uh, in November 2020 is going to be, yeah. and in any case, uh, what has been a bipartisan view is that uh, an important condition to con- for the U.S. to continue to engage, uh, no matter you know the you know the the, the color of the of of the administration, is that. We need to make sure that all countries are being transparent. Mm-hmm. So there are issues that are very dear to the U.S. Um, and and they're going to fight uh, in a very consistent manner our way through. And transparency is one of them. Mm. So they want to make sure that you know all there's one aspiring uh, uh, good practice standard. You know, for countries to estimate and to tell the world, you know, how they've done things and to be held accountable. And there shouldn't be two different standards because you're a developer, developing countries. So they've been very, very vocal and, and, and also they had a facilitative role with China uh, to conduct the, 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 the negotiation uh, on the Paris rule book for that particular those guidelines on transparency. So, so they're they're still productively engaged. It sounds exactly, and they have done a good job in facilitating the discussion on transparency, acknowledging that this was one of the most contentious issues. Mm-hmm. It was one of the most contentious even in Paris uh, because of of that um, we that. Um, that willingness for many countries to keep the statu quo, to have two different worlds, two different types of requirements, hmm. you know, for developing developing countries. So, so, so mm-hmm. well, can, can I ask another aspect of, of of what you said earlier was that you know when the United States, when the Trump administration announced its intent to withdraw, as you said, the world sort of reacted by doubling down its commitment to the Paris Agreement, and that you know seemed to be the case uh, until very recently. Uh, when we have this new election in Brazil, in, in which yeah. um, the the new leader there has basically signaled that he also intends to withdraw from the, the, the Paris Agreement. So now I'm wondering if you have the United States out, if you have Brazil out, you know, a major player in the global south and a major leader, frankly, in the environmental movement. Um, and, you know, one of the, you know, it was the, the Rio conference in 1992 that gave birth to the whole, you know, international framework for, for climate change. How 
sustainable is this framework if both Brazil and the United States are out? So first of all, again, they're not out. Uh, so what we need to almost, they're not out yet. Yet. Yeah. So, um, so, so Brazil coming, you know, the new administration being, being new, um, I think the community will still try to demonstrate um, that, you know, there's economic benefits, security benefits in, in, in still engaging fully and fulfilling the Paris Agreement goal. So it is really in the benefits of Brazil to do that. If, if so many states, um, uh, a private sector business were not convinced in the, U- in the United States, you wouldn't have this particular America pledge and, and, and movement that you, are, you, are, you have seen. And, and that movement will continue. We need to make sure that it expands and we need to almost do the same in Brazil. Um, so it's, you know, this is where we believe that the power of analysis you know, evidence is going to be even more important uh, so that they understand that actually, and, and, and at the same time in parallel, we need to make sure that the rest of the world, the world does not deviate and, and continue so that there's a feeling that, hey, there's a train that is actually going from, you know, the TGV, the very, you know, uh, very high speed train to the magnetic even, you know, uh, even quicker train, you know, there's a whole thing going on and you may miss the boat completely. You can miss the train if you not come uh, on board, you know, quickly. So now you are questioning the process, fine, but, you know, don't wait too soon. And I think there's going to be uh, efforts to try to continue to demonstrate that, you know, that that would be a mistake, you know, to go along that line. It's going to be in the benefit of Brazil to do that. And, but for that, we need to continue to mobilize the rest of the world. And it's not easy. It's a setback. I'm not minimizing the task. Uh, but, you know, this is where we need, you know, we have no choice because, you know, we also know, uh, you know, all the impact that we see, the, the, the fires, you know, all the droughts, the intensification of hurricanes, all of those things are just real. You know, you do not need, you know, a new administration to prove you wrong. This is real. And we also know there's analysis showing that uh, this new transformative uh, uh, journey uh, for climate can bring a 26 trillion of benefits, 65 million of jobs, you know, jobs, you know, for the UK and Egypt together it can be so we need to get those figures to reality and get people to really embrace you know what could be an exciting future well uh, so yeah no well well uh, and and we'll rely on you to help uh, sort of make sense of of it all and and the nitty-gritty uh, diplomacy underway in poland thank you thank you so much for your time this was very helpful we will try thank you thank you very much for the opportunity <laughs> All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Yamid. That was very helpful. A very good, I think, distillation of really complex uh, negotiations that are underway in Katowice, Poland.
And before I, I let you go again, do unlock a host of rewards by becoming a premium subscriber to the show. You'd not only be helping the show and helping me, you'd also be uh, earning yourself lots of uh, bonus episodes and I think a very useful news clip service, among other things. And I'll send you a sticker, of course. Glad to do that. And of course, as always, a big thank you to the University of Manchester's Global Development Institute for being an ongoing institutional supporter of this show. If you're with an institution and you want a shout out and regular content featured from your institution, uh, send me an email and I'll, I'll tell you how our content partnerships work. I'll see you next time. Bye.